Yes, go to magicfinancing.com. They're fantastic, folks. They're going to be able to help you to get a brand new car if you want uh, your dream car. Tell them that Charlie sent you here from the council. Uh, talk to Mago the Magician. That's Maurizio. Uh, he's a longtime dear family friend who's uh, been taking care of us for many decades, uh, getting us the cars that we wanted and when we needed them. Uh, so go talk to them. They'll be able to help you. And they are the sponsor of this show. Welcome, everybody, here to the council. I'm your host, Charlie Pacello. And boy, do we have an extraordinary show, very special show for you today. But before we get to uh, my very esteemed and honored guest, I just want to do a quick shout out to KUHS TV Radio Denver. We are the stream. We are broadcasting live. Yeah, broadcasting live right here in uh, beautiful Denver, Colorado. It's a gorgeous day today, and boy, we are just spreading the, the joy and the love of spring here in, in Denver and all across this nation and all around the world. We are being tuned in and listened to by so many people from so many different countries, and our programming is decidedly to help and bring peace and love and healing and joy to all of you who are listening and tuning in out there. We welcome you. We appreciate you. We thank you for tuning in every other week to the council. Uh, I am deeply indebted to all of you uh, as we are so shortly coming up on our 100th show. We're <laughs> coming up. It's hard to believe that we are coming up on our 100th show here on the council. We've had we just happen to be blessed with so many incredible guests that have shared their wisdom, their understanding, their gifts, their magic, their medicine with us uh, as we try to heal our deep, deep soul wounds here in our not only in our nation, but on our planet. And uh, I do uh, send out my heart and prayers to the people of India right now. Uh, those there's many that have tuning in from uh, from India, my heart uh, and all the, uh, from everybody out here to all of your people. And uh, we hope that, uh, you know, this will this this uh, coronavirus gets under control. Uh, we are sending you what we can to help you to, and to get through this difficult time. Uh, our reach here continues to grow, folks. Uh, we want to be a beacon of hope around the world uh, so that people can listen to us as we strive to bring our city, our nation, and our world together uh, to bring our commonalities, our goodness, and our humanity to the forefront. So many others tend to bring up uh, the, the lowest common denominator. We want to bring out the best uh, in us. And... And folks, you know, uh, I think it's uh, my, my esteemed guest today. He's, uh, he has been a, a lighthouse for me he, during my deepest and darkest times in my life uh, where I hadn't lost all hope and meaning and couldn't make sense of where I was going uh, and what had happened to my life and why it, it unfolded the way it did. And, and uh, when I had reached a point where it was just seemed like there was no, there was no place for me to go. Uh, I met uh, Dr. Tick. Uh, it was at a retreat in 2013. We were in uh, Joshua Tree, California, in the desert, and it was like a lifeline thrown to me by the gods. <laughs> uh, because everything that uh, Ed and Kate, his, his beloved wife and, and partner and life partner, had shared on that uh, memorable weekend was like uh, uh, my, it was everything that my soul was thirsting for. 
was craving. It was like, oh my gosh, this made sense. It was, it was beyond just uh, you know the symptomatic problems that I was already experiencing. I knew the symptoms I was having because、uh, I was experiencing them, but I wasn't understanding what was really going on deep inside of me, why these things were manifesting the way they were, and why I was in so much trouble. And it was because of Ed's work that had brought me to a place and understanding of the path that I needed to take,、uh, that I was already taking, but I didn't even realize that. And、uh, you know, I think his work is is very similar to、uh, you know the myth of Prometheus. You know, he was able to take this fire from the gods and trying to understand. You know how do we heal our warriors? Does regardless of where they come from, where they're at, where they may be,、uh, what is the universal prescription that can be able to alleviate the suffering that warriors for generations have experienced and felt, time and time again? What is that prescription that can help them to move forward? And he brought that fire to us. And it has not been easy, and it's been a struggle、uh, on many fronts as well. But、uh, he has spent 40 years of his life、uh, in service to our nation, and in service to our veterans and, and warriors all around the globe. And so, it is my esteemed honor and privilege to welcome、uh, Dr. Edward Tick. He's the author of War and the Soul, and Warriors Return, one of my Favorite books right here, Warriors Return, and he is、uh, also director emeritus of Soldiers Heart,、uh, a nonprofit that for 15 years helped veterans to follow this path, this universal prescription,、uh, to help us to help other veterans to heal from their wounds and become elders in their community. So, without further ado, welcome, Dr. Tick. Thank you very much, Charlie. Nucleon, I can call you by your sacred name. Thank you very much. I'm honored to be here with you. And with that beautiful introduction, I'd only thank you and thank、uh, the radio station and your sponsor. And if I were living with you, I'd rush right over there now because we need to replace our car, and I need somebody I can trust. But even that, to have a, a family dealership that you've worked with for decades and you know you can trust. Is beautiful, and that's a lesson too. That we need our trusting, reliable relationships to help us through life,、mm-hmm. and especially for recovering from war and other violent trauma. Well,、so、thanks for the beautiful introduction, and、uh, you were so open、uh, with your own、uh, brief synopsis of your own journey that I actually want to interview you for this hour. <laughs> well, we could do that. We could. We, we could both do that. <laughs> journey and what it was like down in hell, and what were the ingredients that brought you back? Sure, we could. We we could do. A, we could do a, a dual interview here. I'll ask a few questions. You could ask me questions. That'd be fantastic. But I know that you have a poem that you wanted to start out with. Did you want to start out with that first? Yes,、uh, I I do. And、um, well, in addition to thanking you and the council and the radio station.、Uh, I do want to mention today's date is April thirtieth.、Uh, one of the reasons we're gathering today is because I turned seventy last weekend,、mm-hmm. and so I thank you for giving me this opportunity to share a bit of my journey with our friends out there, the audience in the world, and、uh, this helps me make sense of my journey. This is part of my rite of passage in in making the transition to age seventy,、uh, and.、Uh, 
entering my elderhood, uh, where you take over the frontline work and I'm going to do more of the teaching. <laughs> Is that okay? <laughs> that sounds great to me. I'm, I, if I can follow humbly in your footsteps and, and, and do half of what you were, have been able to do for so many warriors, uh, uh, that would be a blessing. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And it is a legacy, and we want everybody uh, listening to know that we are we do honor and practice the, the worldwide warrior legacy. Mm -hmm. The American warrior legacy is only a few hundred years old. The worldwide warrior legacy is at least 5,000 years old, that we know. Uh, and you and I and our colleagues work with our veterans uh, to connect them to that worldwide legacy and to realize they just did not just have an individual experience, but they are part of this eternal legacy. And every one of them is the next step in the legacy. Mm -hmm. And if they break down, they can't carry it. They're, they're wounded and then the wounds get passed on, transgenerational trauma. But if they heal, they're healing themselves, they're healing their family, they're healing our community and nation, and they're healing the warrior archetype itself mm -hmm. that has been mistreated for these thousands of years. So this is a very important work we share. Uh, the other thing about today, uh, to all our friends out there, April 30th, um, I don't know if there's any attention in the media today, but today, right now, today is the 46th anniversary of the end of the Vietnam War. <laughs> April 30th, 1975. And I'd like to build that into our talk today too, because uh, to all our Vietnam veterans and families out there, I'm sorry, we know this is a terribly painful, grievous day for you. Mm -hmm. And to Americans who think, we lost the war, we left in shame, that's how Americans carry it, which is a profound national trauma, mm -hmm. not just to our veterans, but to the entire nation. I want everybody to know that's not what the war means in Vietnam. That's not what this day and this anniversary means in Vietnam. And they do not think about or talk about defeating the Americans. It, uh, today is their reunification day, mm. their liberation day. Vietnam has been occupied by foreign and invaded by foreign powers for 2,000 years. The American war that they sometimes call the last anti-colonial war. And with expelling our country from their country, they reunified, they liberated after thousands of years of occupation. And it's, it's a positive, loving, joyous celebration for them, mm -hmm. not defeating Americans, but having our country back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We love freedom also, and we want to be free. And all Americans, Ho Chi Minh, when he declared independence uh, after the French War, the very first full paragraph of the Vietnamese Declaration of Independence is the American Declaration of Independence. Wow. We hold these truths. <laughs> wow. They have so much respect for us, they thought at the end of World War II and the French occupation we would be their best friends. Yeah. Well, didn't Ho Chi Minh meet up with uh, the Americans? I mean, he was really trying to like establish. He tried really hard, and he pe yeah. appealed to us for help. Yeah. And unfortunately, Truman said, "No, uh, the French were our, our were our allies in World War II. They want their colony back. We'll help them take it back." 
The oldest Vietnam veterans I I have worked with personally mm-hmm. were World War II Navy veterans who were sent to Vietnam to bring the French troops and supplies over instead of coming home after World War II. Mm. And nobody would believe I'm a World War II veteran and a Vietnam veteran. But it's true. <laughs> and also to our public, the United States paid for, uh, I forget the percentage, uh, over 75% of the French war. We paid the bill. Wow, I had no idea. That's right. enormous. I do why don't they teach that to us in our history classes? Because I've never heard that before. Uh, that's a good question. Uh. Because if we taught history accurately, and if you and our other veterans were in the classes teaching history and also experience, phenomenology, yeah. what the experience of being in the military and being in, in combat really is like, everything would have to change if people were educated to the truth. And that is such a big thing, being educated to the truth and hearing the truth and being willing to speak the truth and listen to it. And that is such a hard thing for people to do because it requires um, uh, an honesty and an open heartedness that says, you know what, Uh, we didn't do everything perfect. Uh, we may have wanted to, but that doesn't mean we did. And sometimes we have to to swallow that so we can make better choices and decisions in the future and not use our veterans and our warriors mm-hmm. for efforts that are against that warrior's dignity and the archetype of the warrior. Right. So uh, my poem that I'd like to share and, and uh, help us continue to open and get deep into our conversation is about these very topics. Um, and uh, we, you and I and our friends and colleagues consider this sacred work. Mm-hmm. So we always begin with prayers and invocations, and we open and close that way, and we consider ourselves in sacred time and space when we are dealing with these matters. So this poem is called Praying, and it also, it's two stanzas, uh, and it, this is about the transformation that happens to us when we are in the hell of the war zone and the transformation that can happen afterwards when we really do healing and reconciliation of the soul mm-hmm. uh, as you and I are practicing. So, and it's set in Vietnam uh, to honor this day uh, and, um, and peace and reconciliation and friendship with those good people mm-hmm. who help us heal. So praying. Uh, It's in first person, but it's the story of one of the veterans that I brought back. So it's me speaking as one of our Vietnam warriors. Never in my life did I pray so hard as that day at the smoking bottom of this mountain, among giant boulders and fallen trees, when the enemy overran our wire and sprouted like berserk rice stalks no farther away than the length of my rifle, and our muzzle holes became God's wrathful eyes. Mm. Mm. For those who were there, though there are many mountains that were in contention in Vietnam, this is uh, specifically on uh, Black Lady Mountain, Nui Baden, in Tainian province. Many of our veterans will know that place. Mm -hmm. He's fought there. And he survived a horrible suicide attack. And we actually went back because he was tortured by the fact that uh, his camp had 
taken 300 enemy soldiers' lives, and they dug a mass grave after the battle and shoved all those bodies into the grave. Wow. His moral injury, those bodies, those souls were haunting him, and he needed to go back to turn the grave over to the Vietnamese so they could have their dead loved ones back. Yeah. So 45 years later, we went and we did it. So the second stanza is now, when we go back and reconcile and atone. Never in my life did I pray so hard until today. On the cloud-crowned top of this mountain, among smiling statues and wafting incense, when their children took my and their children took my hands and called me their uncle. And monks bowed to me as if I were a saint. Mm -hmm. And I embraced their dead as my true brothers. And God's loving eyes gazed through my torn and mending heart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the transformation that you and I work for, for our warriors and everyone connected to them, my brother. And... We do want our everybody out there to know this transformation is possible. Yes. The invisible wounds of war are not a dead end, and you don't have to be chronically wounded, alienated, and disabled your whole life. Uh, as you shared, Charlie, thank you. Uh, I've spent 40 years and more of my life searching for the path home mm -hmm. and mapping it out and guiding our warriors down it so that there really could be this kind of positive hopeful spiritual transformation for the individuals and restore restoration of the warrior archetype uh in to the the way it is supposed to be and meant to be it's a good thing and we need it it's not evil mm -hmm. the war, we all have an inner warrior archetype and i partly discovered mine through this work because i didn't serve in the military um during vietnam I have served our military greatly since then, mm -hmm. but not from not not in uniform, not, that, can, not in their uniform. Can you believe? I mean, uh, Doc, that or Ed, that you have been working for forty years. I mean, it's it's amazing that. Uh, I mean, that amount of time and the changes and the transformation that you've seen in culture and society. And when you started out, it was, uh, you know, after the Vietnam conflict. And I mean, it's so disappointing, I think, that today that they don't even recognize it. I mean, it's a significant day. I mean, it, it impacted millions of lives and continued to impact millions of lives. I'm a son of a Vietnam veteran. My life and my family was affected by it. Um, I know uh, a, a friend of mine, she was, she's Vietnamese, she was on the other side, and she was a product of that war. And so for us not to even acknowledge and to, to memorialize it, to remember it, is, is significant. And I'm so glad that we're bringing that up today and being able to at least highlight it and talk about it and, and give those men and women who suffered, uh, who fought, who suffered, who died, uh, some recognition of... Uh, of the of the price that they paid, and uh, and their families too, but have you seen a change? I mean, to be able to start, what 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 started you? What what ignited that fire to help uh, veterans and and warriors forty years ago? And 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 what have you seen as far as the transformation in in society? Are we better off than we were, 
you know, 40 years ago, or, or is there, are we still needing some uh, profound uh, reckoning maybe that uh, we have to look at our, at some of the things that we've done in order for us to truly reconcile and heal and atone for some of the things that we've done in the past? Well, with those 10 questions. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to load them all in at once and see if I can get them all. No, no it's fine. This, this is good. This is us. Um, yeah, that's true. Right. So, some of us may remember that uh, the Bible reads, uh, actually it's attached to the second commandment. Uh, the sins of the parents shall be visited upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Mm -hmm. Well, we're 56 generations since Jesus. And then how many more since uh, those biblical words were written? So the truth is the sons and the, uh, the sins of the parents will be visited upon the children unto the last generation until the parents stop the, the moral uh, sinning. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we, it's not three and four generations. We have all uh, inherited transgenerational and historical and global trauma for literally for thousands of years and the world has hardly ever stopped its warring we haven't even had the time to recover from warfare to see what it does to all of us and to heal and correct so we don't keep replicating it mm -hmm. so that was my first influence my father has PTSD well my grandparents had PTSD because uh, they they fled they were Jewish and they fled the pogroms uh, oh, and uh, they were in the pogroms, and they fled them. And uh, one of my great, one of my great uncles stayed behind and uh, died in the concentration camps. And my father was. My grandparents were traumatized from it. They never called it that. They just had really difficult lives, and they were hurting bitter people. Um, and my grandfather dropped dead of a heart attack at 54. That's stress. That's a stress disorder that killed him. Yeah. Um, so, and they passed it on to my father. So he was raised by people who were traumatized. And then his World War II service traumatized him as well. Mm -hmm. On my mother's side of the family, uh, my mother had one older brother who was uh, a medic at the Battle of the Bulge. And then MIA behind enemy lines for two months after that. Mm -hmm. The family didn't know if he was alive or dead. And he came home with, I wouldn't even call it PTSD, severe shell shock. He was shaking like a leaf, talking like this till he died. He was my godfather. He planted that in me. And I've been working my whole life. My life's work has also been to redeem all of the wounds from my, my family, my generations behind me who came and passed on the wounding to me. So that started me <laughs> on the path before we got to American history. Um, 40 years, uh, 70 years old this weekend. So I was born in 1951. So I was born in the Korean War. Mm -hmm. Just six years after the end of the World War II, I grew up in the inner city of the Bronx, surrounded by World War II veterans and Holocaust survivors who were all really hurting folks and nobody ever talked about it. Um, I was born during Korea, and I grew up during the Cold War, 
I vividly remember the Cuban Missile Crisis and going to school that day really literally fearing and expecting that I wasn't going to be coming home that day, we'd all be dead. Wow. That's how serious the Cold War was then and how massive the fears were and how we were all being conditioned with all those, those idiotic air raid drills. Yeah, <laughs> nuclear weapons are, caught, are falling on us, so get under your desk. Yeah, like that's going to do anything. <laughs> I mean, right. I, you know, when you think about it, I'm sorry to interrupt, but when you think about that and, and the idea that going under, the, teaching kids to go under their desk, as, uh, to, that that's going to protect you from nuclear fallout is the most insane way to be able to condition people to deal with something, a cataclysm, that is beyond comprehension. I mean, and it, it just, uh, like you said, it conditions us to accept certain things that we should find absolutely unacceptable, which is nuclear war. We shouldn't all... Anyway, yeah. I'm sorry. That's just crazy. Right, right, yeah. right. Yes. All right. So, um, okay. So, Vietnam came when I was in high school and... I want to tell. I want everybody to know that I profoundly, deeply believe in national service, mm -hmm. and uh, so I went into severe moral conflict myself uh, in starting in junior high and high school because our country is at war, and I grew up with the ethic that if our country is at war, we young men have to serve and should serve and we're protecting the country. But I looked really closely at the conditions of the Vietnam War and also the Cold War in Korea. And I said, no, these wars are not about protecting the country. They're politically and economically motivated and, uh, and they're brutally un and unfair to the people we're harming and invading. They're not our enemies. So I was in moral conflict and I began protesting the Vietnam War in high school. Um, and continued in college. So uh, I own that I have deep moral injury, but not my not my own, our collective moral injury. Uh, I, I didn't have to serve. Um, well, I got to college. I had student deferment the first year. Then the lottery system came along, and I was thinking of, you no, know, I decided... If I was drafted, I would go as a medic because I, I believe in service, but I could only serve trying to help and heal. And I would join my brothers that way and my sisters. Uh, and I was applying for conscientious objector status at that time. And I was going to give alternative service to serve our nation in a peaceful way. Mm -hmm. And then I got a high ladder, draft lottery number and I didn't have to do anything. And... I watched it splinter my generation. So many people quit college because they got a high number, they didn't have to serve. They were only in college to get out of the draft. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people, of course, some people left the country. I knew people who went into exile in Canada and Sweden. Uh, some people enlisted really quickly to try to get the best uh, MOS. If I enlist, they're not gonna send me to Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Right, right, right. Um, yeah. But my generation just splintered over that and is really has not come back together yet. No. So some of the work we've been doing is getting the civilians in to reconcile with the veterans and rejoin us as one community. Mm -hmm. All right. So I didn't have to serve. Fast forward, 1975. 
the year the war ended, um, I finished my master's degree in psychology that year, and I moved to a rural part of central New York State. PTSD was not a diagnosis until 1980, so we mark that as well. Uh, so we're what, we're 46 years into the, after world, the end of Vietnam War, so we're 41 years after the PTSD diagnosis was uh, uh, was given to us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I began, I actually began working with our vets before that. Um, in the mid to late 70s, they began to come into my new little psychotherapy practice. And nobody was working with veterans then, mm -hmm. and people were terrified of them. And there was a lot of violence from, the, from those who came back really troubled, like there is now. Uh, the Texas sniper was a, a veteran. Was he was? The, oh, wow. Yeah, that was one of the, the uh. first serious, massive terrorist acts. And so people were calling the Vietnam veterans tripwire veterans. Mm -hmm. And everybody was terrified. Keep away, keep away. They're dangerous. My friends and colleagues said, don't work with them. They might kill you. Uh-uh. Yeah. No. I said, they didn't want to go. They didn't want to do this. They had to go. Um, some. Whether they believed it or not, in it or not, they had no choice, and they didn't know they were going to an immoral war. Mm -hmm. And I could have been with them, and I would have been their medic. So the best thing I can do with my life is to try to be the best home front medic I could possibly be. So I took that pledge uh, way back then, and I've been striving for that my whole life. I didn't know the journey. Of course, couldn't predict the journey that it would propel me on. Or that you, together with you and with some of our other warrior colleagues, we would discover that the way veterans are being treated, the way they're being brought, not brought home, mm -hmm. the failure to bring them home well, the dominant treatment of the, no offense to the Veterans Administration, because so many people there want to do right, mm -hmm. but massive degrees of, of pharmaceuticals and cognitive behavioral therapies uh, or imposing exposure therapy without a relationship that people aren't ready for and not having deep loving trust and not studying the worldwide warrior traditions and not knowing how to bring warriors home those were our conditions mm -hmm. and that's what i learned and i thought well humanity wouldn't still be here if since we've had wars for five thousand years mm -hmm. Humanity still wouldn't still be here if 5,000 years of world warriors were all severely traumatized and couldn't return home and couldn't get their, their lives together uh, to be creative and productive and keep life going. So I began a worldwide study of the warrior traditions uh, and, and travel, as you know. So, and we've been, our audience should know we've been on a warrior's journey to Greece together. Yes, and we have. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah, and a few of our yeah. friends and colleagues over there are listening right now. Yes, they are. evening <laughs> over there. So hello to uh, Kalispera to all of our Greek friends. Yes, indeed, and Kalispera. <laughs> they, ha they have so much wisdom about how to bring warriors home. And we use that. You're an actor. You use theater. And you, you've acted in some Greek tragedies and some other plays about warriorhood and warfare. Tragedy was invented in ancient Greece by combat veterans mm -hmm. as 
a massive communal healing ritual where everybody could see their wounds portrayed, the archetypes wounded and trying to heal, and share a massive communal catharsis together. Mm -hmm. So everybody grieved, everybody screamed, everybody emptied the fear and pity in their lives and their bodies. Mm -hmm. And this is only one of many ways that the Greek tradition healed. But I've studied, I'm initiated in the Greek tradition, the, Na uh, the Native American tradition, the Vietnamese, uh, Buddhist and Confucian and ancestor worship traditions. And all of them have beautiful and complex ways for discharging the trauma that's in our bodies and souls, mm -hmm. affirming that it is primarily a soul wound that we're not supposed to chase away our symptoms. Our symptoms are trying to express what is locked in our bodies and souls. So we need to give them expression, especially through the arts, again, mm -hmm. like you do with drama, like I do with poetry. Uh, like, uh, And there is a renaissance of, of veteran arts going on in our country right now. Mm -hmm. The younger veterans, they wanna act and dance and sing and and orate, they don't want to go into VA therapy and get bombarded with medications and told uh, to avoid their triggers. <laughs> yeah. They want to share and they want to express and they want to tell the truth. Well, and that, and you know, it's so critical to be able to, and you mentioned it before, to be able to establish trust with the people that we are working with. And if all you're doing is giving them pharmaceuticals and medications, which they may have their place temporarily, but you've got to be able to establish some kind of connection with someone that they can trust that you're going to walk it with them, that you're going to be able to hear and listen and be able to share those stories. And some of the salves of the soul is 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 poetry, is storytelling, is singing, is dancing, is the movement. That's what gives, that's what invigorates us, that's what lights us up. And that's what the Greeks were so brilliant at, is that they understood this on a fundamental level in that warrior tradition, that we had to purge and cleanse and, and do all of these things. Because if we are not healthy in our emotions, in our, in our, in our memories and those things that, are, that we have experienced, uh, it's going to show up in perversions. It's going to show up in distortions. And we are going to be affected by it until we deal with it, until we look at it, until we don't run away from it anymore. And that's what was so brilliant about, uh, you know, when I finally met you and, and was like, oh, my gosh, I don't have to run away. Someone here to that, that, that gets it, that understands it, that made that, oh, I can make meaning from this experience. Oh, I'm not wrong for having felt this way that I feel like I violated my soul by doing this and by going by saying that I'm agreeing to to, to bomb these people or destroy these people or to kill these people that I'm not wrong for feeling this way that right wait a second that is my conscience that is my conscience that's saying this is not right and learning and helping people to get in touch with that is such a critical thing and and I and you know, it's not pathologizing the, the wound. It is, it, it's diving deeper into it. It's recognizing it as a soul wound. And, and, and you and Kate have, have uh, really graced uh, our nation and our communities with that wisdom. Yeah, thank you. We're actually depathologizing it. Mm -hmm. We're normalizing it. We're saying this, these wounds are inevitable in the military and war experiences. And we're not even saying that the military is evil or wrong. We're not saying that. We need preservation and we need protection. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, I love safe. I love the military. The way, the way we're training our warriors, the mm-hmm. way we're using them, and our complete and utter failure to bring them home and take the war out of them is what's uh, destroying them. Mm-hmm. And so homecoming is as traumatic or more traumatic than the combat zone itself. Mm-hmm. We expect if you're in the combat zone, you expect somebody's trying to hurt you and you're trying to hurt them. Mm-hmm. But you expect your battle buddies to be there. So emit, uh, military sexual trauma. Oh my God, we're doing it to our own people. Yeah. The person who's supposed to have my flank is raping me. What? Yeah. And then coming home and the way they're treated with it's just. Utter, even the good therapists who really want to do right and do well by our warriors, and there's so many of them, don't know what to do and don't know the warrior tradition, the warrior legacy. And so they're they're not doing right. They're doing the textbook response to PTSD, um, which in large part is not healing. Or in recent years or decades with all the new brain research and uh, broken brain work well that's part of the it's part of it it can help it can reduce symptomatology but it's not the heart and the soul it's not everything it's not our whole being it's not the identity it's it's getting back to good functioning Mm -hmm. but we also and bless them for doing that work we also need more than good functioning we need transcendent purpose we need meaning. Mm-hmm. We need recreation of a positive identity that includes our experiences. We need fully embracing for life mm-hmm. the warrior archetype. Once a warrior, always a warrior. It ain't only for you Marines out there. It's for everyone who has served. Mm-hmm. <laughs> always. And we work to help them be on the, on the lifelong mm-hmm. spiritual warrior path. Uh, as we, as you were just talking, a really precious memory came back for me. Uh, it's very early, and I'd like to share it uh, with our crowd. Um, another reason that I became, uh, that I enlisted, I, I could have said no. Yeah. I wasn't no. drafted by. Oh, I was drafted, but not by our government. No, you were you were definitely drafted. <laughs> I was definitely drafted. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Well, all right, two. I'll try Divide to tell two divine. stories quickly. Um, how I was drafted. Christmas 1979. I, I was actually I've been working with our veterans for about 43 years, but 47 is there kind of a nice round number? I mean, we got <laughs> 40 yeah, plus. You know, for, yeah. Buddha under the bow tree for 40 years and Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days and Moses and all that. Yeah. The for 40 years in the desert. Yeah. Um, but I began working with our vets about three years before the PTSD diagnosis. Um, uh, so there was really, there was no literature at all. There wasn't even a name for the wound. The very first piece of writing I did on our warriors suffering was for Christmas of 1979. I was so upset by the alienation and pain that our Vietnam vets were experiencing and the ones I was working with by then uh, that I wrote an uh, an op-ed for my regional newspaper on what Christmas is like for the Vietnam vets who are so removed from society and so emotionally dead and cut off. 
So that was published on Christmas Eve, and a couple of days later, I got a phone call. You the guy who wrote that story about us? Uh, yes, sir. <laughs> uh, to make a beautiful long story short, it was the I honor him, Phil Cohen. Thank you, Phil. He was the president of our regional chapter of Vietnam Veterans of America. He uh, he demanded a meeting. We met all afternoon. He told me his story. He tested me for mine and really, really drilled me about why I want to be working with the veterans. And finally, he said, okay, I've heard enough. I trust you. You're coming to our post to talk to the veterans about this new weird diagnosis that you guys are giving us, PTSD. Mm -hmm. They need to know about it. I said, uh, yes, they do, and thank you, but I can't do it. Why not? Well, I haven't worked with, I've only worked with a few veterans. Well, how many? Uh, to date, I've worked with three veterans. He said, yeah, I know. I've checked all of you type of people out in our entire county. Three veterans makes you our regional expert. Because <laughs> wow. nobody will work with us. Right. Thank you, Phil. Uh, but I'm, I know I'm no expert. I'm a baby at this. And they won't trust me. I wasn't there. And Phil said, I trust you. I've drilled you and tested you today, and you pass muster, so I trust you, you're gonna do this. And I said, okay, I hear you and thank you, but I really can't. I'm not ready, we're not ready, it's not gonna work. And he leaned over like this, nose to nose with me, Charlie, and he said, he said, Kick, nobody asked me if I wanted to go to Vietnam. I'm not asking you if you wanna do this, you're drafted. <laughs> wow. So I could have yeah. said no. Yeah. But yeah. uh uh. Boy did my heart leap with honor, dignity, hope, fear, anxiety, um supercharged with energy that I have to do this and uh, a portal door just opened, another rite of passage is coming, and I have to do this. Mm. Wow. So I did. Okay. The other memory that came back, and then it was very successful. Uh, I ended up becoming a consultant to the VVA post at that time. We created um, an emergency response unit of me and volunteer veterans who went when any of some of our vets uh, were in a flashback or a meltdown so we could go and, and safely talk them out and bring them back before violence happened or the police arrived. Mm -hmm. So we did all that work in our region. And then I began training some other therapists. Even then, huh, the other memory I want to share is about the same time I had not a, a patient, uh, a best friend who had been, his name was, and I'll honor him publicly also, Willie, if you're out there, I love you. I don't know if he's still alive. His name was Willie Crapser, and he was a Marine recon sergeant. And we were best friends. And we used to go hiking in the Catskill Mountains where he lived. Uh, but he always said, we'll hike together, but I lead the way because nobody but me walks point on the trails. Yeah, but Willie, we're in the Catskills. Yeah, I know, but I still got to uh, scope out all the ambush sites and make sure we're safe. <laughs> I got to take care of my bros. So we did. But at one point, Willie said to me, uh, 
Phil and Willie both, two Vietnam veterans, uh, who really uh, who helped me, who initiated me, mm-hmm. changed my lives. Uh, at one point, when I was also talking with Willie about not being there, uh, he said, it doesn't matter to me that you weren't there. Combat taught me how to judge men. So now I look at men, not by whether or not they were there, but by what they would have been like if they had been by my side. And a lot of the Marines I had should never have been there. They weren't loyal to all of us. They weren't loyal to the Brotherhood. They were out for themselves or they were just out for the kill. Uh Uh-uh, we don't want them. I look for the men I would want by my side. And Ed, I would have chosen you for my squad medic. Uh, My jaw dropped. Uh, What do you mean? How can you say that? Because I know the kind of man you are, because I learned how to judge men by ultimate values and conditions. So I know who you would be, and I know you would always have my back. And damn it, Ed, I wouldn't put a gun in your hand because your heart's too big and you're too soft and you wouldn't want to kill anybody. (laughs) But you sure would do everything you could to save us. Yeah. So ain't that the truth? Yeah, that, ain't that it the truth? Uh, yeah, thank you. And yeah. uh, I really absorbed that, and I've been absorbing it all these 40 years. And I also want to say to all of our veterans, everybody, everybody, one of the most important experiences, achievements of my life is as a non-veteran, old hippie war protester, to earn my place in the brotherhood and to be a brother and to be honored, not as a Vietnam combat veteran, I wasn't there, but Vietnam veterans do honor me as a Vietnam war veteran because of how much service I've given, how much I've willingly exposed myself to more than 40 years of war trauma, how deeply I walk into the wounds and let myself feel it. Uh, I evolved and a motto for myself, um, walk through hell with my heart wide open. Mm, Walk through hell with my heart wide open. And that's what I've strived to do all these 40 years, no matter how much it hurt, no matter how the wounds I had to take. And I did have to take the wounds and experience secondary PTSD. Mm -hmm. I did have combat nightmares for about two years. And I treated myself the way I treat our warriors. I knew my soul was trying to work out its relationship to war and warfare and combat. Uh, And I watched my nightmares and I watched the changes they were going through. And I worked really hard with them Mm -hmm. to integrate what they were teaching me. And I'll even share this. I didn't see myself fighting or killing for two years of combat nightmares Mm -hmm. in the the battles I saw got worse and worse and worse until the last one when I saw myself chased into a school building by enemy soldiers and they chased me into a bathroom. I don't, we can't curse on, on the internet, can we? You, you can if you want. <laughs> okay, well, they chased me into the bathroom. Yeah. Our warriors say we were in the blank, right? Right. Okay, so I... I, in the dream, 
I ran into the bathroom to hide and I ran into the toilet and locked the door. So I was in the blank. Right. In my symbolism, and they came running into the toilet, and they shoved their AKs underneath the door, and they were shooting. And finally, 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 I shot back. Mm. Wow. And that's the dream ended, and that was the very last combat nightmare I ever had, ever, in all these 40-something years of work. Yeah. This work. Back to my Willie Crap, sir. I talked to him about the nightmare afterwards. And he gave me the biggest hug and smile. And he said, bro, you finally get it. Uh, okay, what do I get? <laughs> he said, you've been using the phrase killing rage for when we fight back and take life. And now you get it. It's not a killing rage because we don't want to kill. It's a rage to save our own lives. Yes. That's what kicks off the berserker. Yes. To save ourselves and our and our battle buddies. Yes. And that's what you saw happening in the dream. And God bless you that you chose to save your own life. <laughs> and, wow. And also. What a dream. Wow. Yeah. And it changed my entire value system, too. Yeah. Because I realized with through that dream that I could kill to save myself, to yeah. save you. Yep. I don't want to. I hope I'll never be in that position. But I have that part of me also. And it can be mobilized under certain conditions. And so I'm not the pure, good guy, pacifist I thought I was. <laughs> well, and, and you know what? I think that very often that is, uh, is a relief to us that when we recognize and own that part of ourselves that is uh that is the the warrior that is the predator that is that is willing to be able to you know defend and protect life and even willing to take it in order to protect that that is a huge uh relief because you're not you're integrating an aspect of yourself that is a part of yourself that needs to be healed the when we separate ourselves and we separate that animal part of us that is that can do that and will do that under those extreme circumstances that is part of our dysregulation that is part of our soul's trauma is that we're not integrating that and recognizing that is a part of me as well and it, it prevents us from doing the forgiveness work and the atonement work and the reconciliation work that we need to do because we're putting the, that part of ourselves on somebody else as an other and don't recognize that we need to integrate it in order to become whole and, and to heal our soul. And Ed, I'd love for you to share a little bit of, of some of the, the atonement work and how important this is uh, for warriors in order to be able to really come back and and become the elder warriors uh, that uh, they were intended to become after these experiences that they've been through. Sure. Uh, thanks for that invitation. And again, we can refer to this date right now, today, uh, to all of our friends out there. April 30th, as we said, is Vietnam Liberation Day. And so thank you, Charlie, for your donation. I'm publicly thanking you. Uh, let's let all of our friends know that we are practicing atonement right now, today, with Vietnam. Mm -hmm. uh, that, uh, I've been, well, ever since I, I've been traveling to Vietnam for, uh, for 20 years. Uh, the first time I went was in 2000, uh, about the 25th anniversary of the war. And I've been there... Um, couldn't go this last year. So I've been there 18 times, once a year since 2000. And 
we practice atonement to a, quite a significant degree. Uh, and it's not, of course, it's not only, uh, I'm not, I didn't in, invent it and it's not our tradition. I've learned it from elders and from, from the past. But atonement, mo many of our words come from foreign languages, but atonement is really English. It does mean what it says, at one mint. <laughs> we are putting the world back together where we took it apart. So atonement is making restitution, paying back, going to the wounds that we caused or other world wounds that represent the wounds that we caused. Our vets, uh, most vets won't go back to Vietnam and we can't go back to Iraq or Afghanistan, but we can practice atonement here at home in symbolic ways by addressing wounds that are similar to the wounds that we experienced and we caused in our conflicts. So in Vietnam, briefly, um, uh, our organization, Soldiers Heart, you were a great part of that. Uh, over the life of that organization, we built two schools in Vietnam. We helped Agent Orange rehabilitation centers. Mm -hmm. uh, many of the veterans that uh, we brought over um, adopted Vietnamese children or agreed to sponsor them and keep them in school. We helped the uh, the uh, street children's orphanage in Da Nang. We built them an infirmary and a bicycle garage. Um, I have an adopted Vietnamese daughter over there and continue to help and support her family. And so I have Vietnamese grandchildren. Mm -hmm. And these relationships are really important and to the Vietnamese, their family. They're not just symbolic, they're not distant. Um, my goddaughter Nhoc calls me Bo, which means father, the same word as your blood father. But uh, as in other traditional cultures, they consider these elective relationships to be spiritual. Mm -hmm. So a godfather or a godmother really is oversees the spiritual growth and development of their godchild. Mm -hmm. And they want us to, and they mean it. So we've been adopted as step-parents and grandparents and godparents and brothers and sisters. We build schools. We help Agent Orange victims. Yeah. Every single time we do, the ex and every time we go to Vietnam, I don't present them. It's not for me. We have the veterans who served in that area present the gift to the very people they harmed. So we've actually rebuilt, uh, helped rebuild villages that our veterans helped destroy. Mm -hmm. And we've met, sometimes we actually meet the veterans they fought against. Oh my gosh, when we have talking circles uh -huh. and reconciliation groups, and I was shooting at you on that hill at Doc Toe. Yeah, well, you missed, ha ha. Well, yeah, and you missed too. Good thing we were bad shots. They hug and they kiss and they cry, and they say to us quotes from the Vietnamese from the other side. From now on and forevermore, Vietnam, Vietnamese and American veterans must be the brothers and sisters, no, uh, must be the lips and tongue of the same mouth telling the world the same story. Wow. And of course we are brothers and sisters forever because surviving hell together made us brothers and sisters forever. We are closer to each other than our country people who never experienced war because we really understand each other. Mm -hmm. We are the same. So 
We enter into family relations and we repair where we harmed. And we embrace actually Sitting Bull's teaching. Sitting Bull said, warriors are not what we think of as warriors because Sitting Bull said, no human being has the right to take another life. That means it's always a moral injury, even for the right reasons, even for self-defense. Geronimo said something similar. Uh, he said, we don't want to use rifles. They're wrong. We shouldn't be fighting and killing this way. Long distance fighting is not what men do, but we have to because it's the only way to defend ourselves. So to be a warrior and a priest, we have to accept the moral injury that we are sustaining to ourselves and admit it and do our spiritual work to cleanse ourselves of it because we can't do right in war not possible even if we're it's purely defensive mm -hmm. even if we're saving our people so sitting bull then went on and said it's not the killing uh, a warrior's re responsibility is to care for the sick the elderly the people who can't take care of themselves and especially the children the future of humanity mm -hmm. so warrior we need warriors and warriors jobs are to preserve and protect and atonement is restoring and preserving and protecting and grieving together and apologizing that we all had to be in the same horror mm -hmm. and we grieve with you and we're helping you rebuild your your land and your people and what happens in Vietnam is that we uh, there's no PTSD there we don't have time to talk about this this guy, I see. But yeah. we can talk about that another time. Yes. But we help them heal their physical wounds from the war. And by doing that, they help us heal our soul wounds from the war. And everybody heals together. And we become one united family and a united community yeah. witnessing the true cost of war and the necessary steps to heal from it. There's a, you know, how can we, and this is a real quick question, and I hope we can get it to squeeze it in for this, uh, for this show, that there are some people who have had experiences where they, they feel that an honorable experience. I had an honorable experience in, in, in Vietnam that I value my, what, what I, you know, what I did there. How can we get them to help them understand the importance of that integration of the atonement practices to help uh, the healing of, uh, of those who, who didn't have an honorable experience? Uh, we are not casting any negative uh, light on anybody's feeling of honor, and we're not telling anybody out there, no matter what war they served in, to uh, if they don't question it and they feel like it was honorable, absolutely their right and their privilege and their duty to embrace that and feel that they served with honor. Secondly, many veterans of our veterans who were against wars still say they served with honor. Mm -hmm. They went to serve our country. They didn't know that it was wrong that they were being lied to. And so their service was still uh, well-meaning and honorable. Mm -hmm. Next, Geronimo said, I had to become granite to be a fierce warrior, and being a fierce warrior taught me great compassion. Mm -hmm. I let myself feel the pain of the other. Mm -hmm. I let myself feel pain when I had to take a life. And I had to take a lot of lives. Uh, Geronimo was married eight times, and we killed every one of his wives. Oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't yeah, know that. he wow. had profound reason to be enraged. 
Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. granted on the outside, but he compassion on the inside. I don't want to kill. I hate doing this, but I'm going to feel it and feel the pain I'm causing others and know that they're in pain and their families are in pain also. <laughs> so, we need to train our warriors differently so that they can be hard on the outside and still have their hearts soft and alive and feel what they're doing on the inside. Yeah. We need to bring former foes together mm -hmm. to tell stories, to realize everybody's hurt and everybody suffers. Mm -hmm. And when they went to war, everybody thought it was right and good and honorable. Mm -hmm. And it's not each other that makes it dishonorable. It's being treated wrongly, sent for the wrong reasons, for the wrong causes, to do the wrong things. Mm -hmm. So uh, how do we get uh, politicians and leaders uh, involved in this? Well. That's for another council. That's for another council. And one of the things that I mean, I think that's a, is we've got to have more healed warrior elders who are moving into those places of leadership because they understand the cost of play, putting people into war. And so they're not going to use them as, as political pawns or in, in you know, games that where they would be put into harm's way for unjust reasons for uh, ignoble reasons it's not going to happen so that's one of the other critical factors in why we need to heal our warriors because they hold some of the medicine that we need as a culture and as a society to be able to really heal and make atonement and and to heal our nation and to heal our uh, heal our world so exactly amen Amen to that. Uh, just quickly, folks, thank you for tuning in here to the KUHS. we got a, just a quick shout out to everybody who's working here at, uh, at the station to make this possible. Henry and everybody back there in the back, thank you so much for making this you know magic happen behind the scenes. If you knew what we had to do behind the scenes to make this seem so seamless and to work so well, uh, we couldn't do it without uh, Henry and everybody here at KUHS. We are KUHS The Stream. Broadcasting here in beautiful Colorado, all across this nation and all around the world. Uh, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in today to the council to hear and to share with with Dr. Edward Tick, one of my dearest mentors and teachers and brothers and friends. And uh, uh, I can't thank you enough, uh, Ed, for all that you have given me and given us warriors and 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 uh, just to continue to share and walk this journey with you, it's just a it's just a true true honor. Um, I will give you uh, Ed the last word. Um, is there any wisdom that you would like to to close us out with today? I'll close with a very brief prayer of Sitting Bulls for all of us. Sitting Bull sang, "My father." He meant God, the great spirit. My father has given me a great nation. In protecting it, I have a hard time. <laughs> is that not for all of us? That for is, this nation? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, Ed, thank you so much uh, for all that you have given us and all that you have done. And, and uh, uh, we got to do this again. Very soon. Folks, thank you so much for tuning in to today's council. Uh, we will be back in two weeks. Uh, we've got another great show here set up for you. The council is adjourned. 
May you all be well. May you all be free of pain and suffering. May you all be whole. Uh, Thank you, everyone. Be safe. Be well. God bless. We'll take more time if you want. I mean, well, I think we're going. I mean, I've been smiling. (laughs) 